Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of Unplugged, and I am super excited to introduce our guest for today. Hi everyone, welcome to Unplugged by Good Bets, where we provide the latest tips, strategies, and straightforward advice to underdog entrepreneurs and anyone who wants to leave a legacy by launching and growing a thriving social enterprise. I'm Nicole Jarbo from the Good Bets Group, and I'll be your host as we dive into the world of successful social entrepreneurship. Our episodes will be a hodgepodge. Some days we'll answer your most urgent startup questions, and others will interview founders you should know. But we'll always provide practical and unfiltered advice to help you build a better venture faster. Hey, Jason Terrell founder and CEO of Profound Gentlemen, an organization that's working to build communities of male educators of color so they can work with the youth and make our world better. So Jason, what's up? How are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing good. I appreciate you for, uh, for having me on again. Well, thank, thank you for taking the time. Um, I hope you got to vote today. You're on the East Coast. I hope that happens yeah. for you. We're, we're not yeah, talking really politics, voted. but just want to make sure <laughs> Super Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I early voted, so um, I'm excited to see what um, you know, what happens. But uh, yeah, we kind of all like I'm from. I'm sure we'll get into it, but like I have roots in South Carolina. That was a big. Um, I know it was a big state this last this last weekend, so it's been good. All right, overachiever right there. We're not going to get into it because I don't want angry tweets. We just promote voting generally. People should do what's best for them but make the right choice, people. All right, so anyways, um, tell the folks who don't know you who you are and what is it that you do? Uh, so, um, good question. I think um, who I am. So I think if I had to say who I am and I guess paraphrase it instead of giving like a whole bio. Um, so I consider myself an educator. I was uh, not only just like my professional background, but even like growing up, I've always like position myself as like a teacher, a connector, um, to like folks and information and knowledge. So yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, grew up with uh, my grandparents. My, my parents had me in high school. And so I was raised primarily by my grandparents. And my grandfather was a, um, he was a minister. He is a minister. Um, he's still, he's still alive, but definitely um, kind of like a preacher's kid. And so I was always around service. So I was always in church. Um, and he was, you know, preaches in Atlanta, which is like a Methodist church, um, kind of old school type of church. So they do a lot of outreach programs and washing feet and different things. So as a young kid, like I was very ingrained in me is like who I am, a part of who I am is, is tied up in this idea of like supporting, serving, educating others. Um, and so I kind of like ended up professionally chosen, choosing a career where I was doing that. So I was a teacher. Um, started my career off as a teacher in um, a school, a middle school in Charlotte, North Carolina. And from there, like, continued to teach, learn, service, um, and now started started a nonprofit around 2015. I've been leading that uh, full-time since August of 2015, um, called Profound Gentlemen, where we do the same thing. It's, it's like the service-oriented teaching, kind of like, you know, leadership development program for um men of color who've answered the call to teach and serve students. And so everything that I do is kind of tied up and wrapped up in the idea of like, you know, supporting and serving kids. Nice. Thank you for that. And I'm, I'm curious, like, have you always been entrepreneurial? Obviously education is a really 
deep part of your life and what you care about. But how did we get from teaching all the way to starting Profound Gentlemen? And what do you feel like is in the future for the org? Yeah, um, I always laugh at when I think about entrepreneurship, because I think like growing up in, a, in in the South, I think like folks are natural entrepreneurs here, like from like having haircut services, like a bar, you know, at home, you know, salons or whatever that case is. I grew up with like a family of like side hustlers. Like my, my father, he's on, he's a, he's a business owner. He's been running his business. He got laid off of his job um, when I was like 10 and he started his own business and has been running his own appraisal service since I was like 10. Um, again, my grandfather was a, a minister who led his own church. I have another, um, you know, aunt who has her own, like she's done like five or six different businesses from selling suitcases to like, you know, socks to CDs out the trunk. So I got, I think I've always been around folks who like have had extra things on the side and that I've, I've done that as well. So even like when I was in middle school, I was a candy person, candy band. Like I was a the kid <laughs> with the candy locker. Like that was, that was me. Came and got like the skills for a dollar. And like, I was already thinking about like, how do I buy bulk and like sell at higher rates and think about profit margins. Like that was like definitely my thought in, seventh and eighth grade. So I got in trouble for that. I actually got suspended for, you know, selling candy. I came to school for a lot of money. And uh, uh, a teacher pulled me aside. was like, what are you doing? Like, thought I was doing something else um, to, to get that, that money. But anyway, saying that to say, I've always had an idea of like, wanted to do something else on the side and have done that even in college. I worked a job, I worked jobs in college uh, when I was in school. I started in organizations in college. And so naturally when I was in the classroom I was doing the same thing so I started a program at my school um, for some for students for boys at my school um, in addition to like coaching and other things that I was doing and so starting PG wasn't like I wasn't afraid to do it I didn't have the set in mind to start a nonprofit for you know black male educators or men of color who are teaching like that wasn't the goal but it was like it kind of naturally fell into that so but I've always had the idea of like having a side hustle doing something on the side. And even now I lead profound gentlemen, but I also have like a side little consulting business that I support like nonprofits with. Um, so we can talk about that. I'm sure at another time, but I'm um, always had an idea of like wanted to do more um, than what I had in my hand. Straight hustler. It's in your blood. That's <laughs> yeah, really, really funny. Getting in trouble for the candy. Schools should be promoting entrepreneurship. I'm just saying. I agree with you 100%. I think, you know, there wasn't a space and time for that at the, at, during that time, at least, like, what, 2000, like, like late 90s. So, you know, I think it was, thought I was doing something, something else, selling something, you know, it wasn't candy. But um, it was just, it was just Skittles and, and Snickers. <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to leave that there. Um, <laughs> but actually, talk about your consulting side stuff. I didn't know about it. What's that about? Yeah, so um, I, it's something I wanted to do like last year. Um, I've always had, you know, I have friends and like people that I know who, who want to start nonprofits, want to start small businesses. And so I kind of help folks just like as they come about. Um, but um, around last year, I created a consulting firm called Waterford Reynolds. So Waterford Reynolds is actually the street that I grew up on here in Atlanta. Waterford Rose and Reynolds Road is in Southwest and West Atlanta. Um, basically we support like small, um, small to mid-sized, nonprofits, businesses, and like organization and strategic development. So I've, right now I've had like three or four clients that I've worked with in the past. I've like done anything from like grant writing. Um, there's an organization called Project 704 in Charlotte who um, they support 
um, folks who are like homeless and who are, have this disability. So they kind of like do direct service, but they're trying to do like a count the vote effort to get more folks to um, start. Yeah. Yeah. Count the vote effort to get more folks to either vote or to vote and participate in the census. So I, I didn't know that a lot of, you know, black folks, a lot of folks who have disabilities, folks who are homeless, don't get counted um, in the census specifically. So I helped them get a $15,000 grant to host like block parties across Charlotte. Um, and there's been a, f a few other organizations that I've done, like sit down, we go over the strategic plan, think about how we can help get them access to funding and opportunity just to help them really see their vision come true. So something I wanted to do on the side, I don't really promote it much. It's just as I hear folks who need support, I, you know, make that connection and we, we make it happen. All right. I know you weren't planning on talking about this, but I have lots of questions. Um, I'm talk good. So what do you feel like, like, why did you want to do this? And, you know, I do my own consulting. So for me, I think about the challenges I've seen other people encounter, but unlike you, I haven't started my own nonprofit. And so I'm curious, like, you know, knowing what you know, as someone who's actually doing that work, like, what do you, um, what do you bring in terms of the way that you will look at supporting those clients? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the, the hardest, so I'm a black male. So one of the hardest things for, for me to like, when I started PG, I didn't know the, how hard it was to get resources. Like we had a vision and we didn't know like how to get money. Like I wasn't, you know, we had to eat and try to take a salary and like, we got to put programming in place and like, so go, trying to get access to capital was like really, really difficult. And it wasn't like, you know, everything on paper, at least if you look on the website for some of the grants and things that we were applying for, we checked off all the boxes, but there was still this like invisible like ceiling that for some reason we couldn't penetrate. And so it took a lot of work, like figuring out how to navigate the funding spaces. So I'm fortunate, like I'm just be real with you. I went to a, I'm teach for America. So that helps that provides a level of social capital that helps me navigate spaces. I went to a, a small private liberal arts college called Furman, which is, is, is really known in like the Southeast. Um, I have like confirm it has a pretty good network in like Charlotte and Atlanta and some of the cities that we work in. So that helped having like a university so I can like tap into alumni networks. Um, and so I, I'm able to have like, I have points of privilege where I can, I was able to leverage my social capital to access funding. Um, but it shouldn't be that way. Right. It should be like, you know, it should be very clear and transparent. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always a, a challenging, even now, to, like, step into spaces where I have to, like, go basically go advocate for my cause and having that, trying to shatter that barrier. Because before I can get to, like, what I do, um, I almost have to essentially prove why I'm worthy to be at the table first. And it's still the case now. But I know that a lot of folks don't have access like I had. So, for instance, the folks in, who run the Project 704, brother named James, like, formerly homeless, veteran. Um, very good dude, has brilliant ideas, but he's not about to pit on the suit and tie and go into some of these funding spaces and try to like sell his program. I mean, he shouldn't have to. Um, so a lot of the reasons why I wanted to start a service like this was how do I even like give some of that social capital that I have in terms of making connections or even, I mean, I've learned some technical skills about how to write grants, how to, the word choice that you use, how to think about measurements and evaluations and how do you craft a program that is enticing the funding spaces as well. Um, and so 
a lot of it is like I, I, I don't want to hold on to it. Like I think I'm using that in the lens of profound gentlemen, but if I can help other folks who have brilliant ideas who don't should not have to like, you know, put on a, a song and dance to access like capital to, to see their visions come true. Um, like who am I to sit on that knowledge and not do anything with it? So a lot of it is like in the whole idea of like how do I connect, how do I educate, how do I support others, trying to just bridge that bridge that gap. And like I said, it's it's small, like I've only helped right now four folks um either like get funding, start, you know, help them with their five one C three paperwork instead of using like other sources where it charges them a lot of money, like we can sit down and do it together. Like some small things that I've learned on the go, I'm just trying to give back and support others. Yes, you're the best person for that. <laughs> and we actually should talk about this um, offline about it because I feel like we see clients all the time who could really benefit from that founder's perspective and that passion. And so we'll connect, but this is, this is oh, a yeah, podcast. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about that now. Um, all right. So I actually want to keep talking about supporting folks with some of that secret sauce that you mentioned. You said that you would hit these sort of invisible barriers, right? Like you're checking all the boxes, but still you weren't able to always penetrate some of these spaces in terms of getting funding, other sources of capital. What have you learned doing that? And like, what would be your advice for folks, your clients or other people who are starting something, who are trying to get in the game, but feel like they keep hitting roadblocks? So the, the best advice that I've learned is that relationships are everything and so i think you know a lot of this so we work primarily in the southeast we have some regions that we support in other places so i do fundraising in other cities like chicago for example which is in the midwest but majority of the work we do is in the southeastern region and at least in the southeast which i'm assuming will probably be like you know indicative of the countries like everywhere is relational and everywhere is really small so like if you take a city like charlotte or atlanta um it seems like a big place to navigate and break through but Honestly, the players are small. Like when you really get down to who's doing the work and who's making decisions, that that list becomes narrower and narrower. So, like my big goal is like, how do I build relationships with folks who are connected with folks who are connected with folks? Like you can have the best application in the world, you have all the me measurements and the the logic is everything could be sound, but sometimes if you don't have that relationship, like it doesn't go anywhere. Which is a that's not fair, right? It's not like I wish it wasn't always like that, but. Um, some of the best advice I've always gotten is people give to people, not ideas. It's like people will give to you for you and like not necessarily your idea, um, which again, that has like a lot of like negative implications behind that. It's not necessarily always equitable, but it's kind of like the world we live in. So like the best advice I've always given folks to access funding or even to like grow their organizations or their brands is to have coffee with like everyone, like meet with people, talk about your story be okay to share your story yourself really understand who you are as a person first before you talk about your organization like without that self-knowledge like you really can't it's going to be hard for you to, to just like you're going to get tired and burned out of having to continue to tell your story if, if it's a pain point um so learning how to craft your story in in terms of your vision is really important and really helpful um and so that's something that i've i've done and i do and i encourage others to do is like be authentic with your own story and then like talk to people and really think about yourself as like a champion and an advocate for your cause. So it's more than just your nonprofit. It's like, what is the cause that you want to see true? And then like fight for that. And like, as a result, your nonprofit will, or your organization will benefit, but um, position yourself as, as, I mean, as expert in your space. And so 
again, something that I had to learn. At first, I was, like, frustrated because, like, yeah, we have a budget, and yeah, we have a board, and yeah, we have, like, program evaluation. Like, what more do we need? Um, but it's like, wait, we're not really telling, like, why the work matters, and, like, they don't really, people don't know us. And so if they don't know us, they can't give to us. And so that's most of the tangible advice I can give is create, like, a, your, like, you know, your power mapping, like, your who's who list, and go after folks. Nice. I mean, that's really it. Relationships matter so much. I mean, you and I talked about not getting into fundraising, and this is like the first thing we're talking about. <laughs> but I just think it's so, it's such a barrier to launching what you want, right? And mm-hmm. thinking about someone or, you know, a group of people could potentially stand in your way from launching something you think is really impactful is really difficult. And so I really appreciate you just being real and saying like, Hey, your relationships matter and you do have some capital use that wisely to put yourself in the best position to raise. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about profound gentlemen. What are y'all doing right now? What's in the pipeline? Um, what are you excited about? And then I want to transition back to some stuff you talked about with like self and leadership. So let's start with Profound Gentlemen, just so we can all get a sense of what you're really working on that nine to five. Yeah. So um, our goal, uh, we exist to basically like not only create, but develop and sustain the ecosystem for which like men of color who are in teaching or education positions can thrive in. And when I say ecosystem is that we have a pipeline program. So we support men of color who are in education from everywhere from college to leadership. Um, so we have three models of the program. So the first program is in the college-based program. It's our zero to, zero to three-year support. Um, so we do we work with university partners. We have four universities that we, right now we're in the second year of a pilot. And then we work with um, educators who are from that one to three-year and the biggest, uh, the biggest goal for us within this big bucket is to help them understand like that self, like how they position themselves as like experts in education. Um, we support with that content support, making sure they have like the pedagogical skills to be a successful educator. Um, and we also support with some leadership work, um, but not, not necessarily like advancing on the path to leadership yet, but getting them used to the idea that, you know, you can be a great teacher and still be a and be a leader in your community. You can, like, we know teachers who have their own blogs at EdPost and who have side hustles that pay more than their teaching salary, but they're still, like, connected to the kids and connected to the classroom. So, like, introducing the idea of, like, education is a huge field, and there's thousands of things that you could do in a profession, but I think that base knowledge has to be, like, in that classroom. So that's something that, that's kind of the first track. The second track is more for our mid-year educators so this is from teachers who are four to six years so by the time you're in the four to six year in the profession like kind of like fatigue starts to set in you start looking at the paycheck you start looking at other opportunities to really promote leadership like how do you think about the next phase of your growth like yeah you might have been a dope teacher but you're 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 beginning phases of teaching you're seen as a leader in your school maybe um but a lot of folks are like dissatisfied and that aligns with data so like 50 percent 50 to 75 percent of men of color actually leave the classroom by year five and so that's like think about a district who has they're trying to recruit folks in 50 percent by year five are like leaving that's an issue and a lot of that is just fatigue folks are worn out they don't aren't satisfied with their current schools so we do a lot of like leadership work so that's retreats we do conferences um we do like coaching 
around like almost like an executive coach for like mid-career professionals. And then the last track we have is for these season folks. So our folks who are seven years plus. So they're currently principals. They may be 10th year teachers who are in the field. Um, they're like your veteran leaders. The idea is like, how do you build a legacy? Like how do you connect them back to the younger educators who are coming up to help like foster that mentorship? And we do like, again, like intentional mentorship and pairing programs. Um, we have them pay them to like lead our set, our stuff. Like we don't, you know, I was a third year teacher when I left the classroom. So I'm not the content expert. I was an English teacher, but there is a 10th year veteran who taught English, like who knows about how to scaffold curriculum, like way more than I do. Um, and so why not like pay him some, an extra whatever, and like have him lead content for educators who are coming up. So a lot of that, that seven year plus work is around like cultivating like these education leaders and like making sure they have like a legacy that they're leaving behind. Um, and so that's a little bit about like the day-to-day -day programming work. Um, in addition to that, I mentioned like an ecosystem. Like we're, like we're also thinking about how do we impact the space that educators exist. So that relates to like policy and then like school climate. And so like educators have to work in a school and sometimes schools aren't conducive to like men of color, black folks, period. And so they have policies that super antagonistic, especially for black boys. And so we, we've been really positioned to like pull teachers out of schools and place them in other schools that may fit their, like their passion and may affirm them really like advocate for like good schools. Um, and like really thinking about or supporting schools and helping them identify policies that are crippling their like recruitment and retention for men of color. And then around the policy front, um, that's a more of an emerging topic. Like we've been asked to sit at a lot of tables, um, to offer our opinions about like, you know, at TPA, which is the new like teacher certification, you know, uh, teacher certification test or, you know, uh, whether it's like teacher pay, like we've been, we've now are positioned to like really dig into like our our opinions on like, what are the conditions that, that essentially make the job easier. Um, and so that's a, something that is more emerging that I'm pretty excited about because, um, it's almost like the idea of like the social capital and like being at the table i think before we were always like cool just being at the table but i think now we're in a place of like now that we're kind of at the table we need to like essentially either flip it over or figure out how we can like really change the system it's not okay just to be at the table being recognized as an organization um and so that's what again the kind of is like making me really excited about the work moving forward um so yeah i'll stop there but that's a little bit about what we do and how we do it and then kind of the next steps Awesome, thank you. I mean, what you just described is a pretty robust solution. So I'm wondering, where did it start? Did you start with all of those different tracks? How are you thinking about this work? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, when we started the program, we started it in like, you know, a living room, essentially it was myself and my co-founder. And we were just venting, we were teachers. I was a third year, third year teacher, a second year teacher at the time, and frustrated about like, all the stuff that was happening in my school. Like I had four principals in the two years that I was at my school. It was a, it was a title one school. Um, that doesn't have a lot of support. I had one veteran teacher named Mr. Brooks, who was another black male teacher who, he's the reason why I was there. Like he was a 15 year vet, taught the same subject, same grade. So I would be in his room after school, like, you know, throughout my block planning period, like just like learning and soaking up knowledge. And so he was like my saving grace. And so, you know, I, we're just trying to figure out, like, what, how do we make this profession more sustainable right now? And we started to invite teachers who, they were just friends, 
to the group. And so it started to kind of grow organically. At the time, we didn't have like a name or vision or it was just a group of guys. And then more and more start to start to go to, to come on on board. And we realized like we were able to kind of capture a lot of voices and stories from teachers, mainly in Charlotte, about the experiences. And all of them said the same thing. Most of them were like, they felt burned out. I mean, there's like the additional tax that you have as a teacher of color, especially a black male teacher, having to be like the disciplinarian in your school, that's taxing. Like I personally, like when I was a teacher, I was our football coach. I was our head baseball coach. Like I was given roles and responsibilities that pushed me into positions of discipline, but I was never asked to lead content. Like I was never asked to lead like a PD. Like that was, that was never, I wasn't used for that in my school where some of my other colleagues were. And so that was a lot of pain points that I, I felt. Um, and uh, and that was a very shared experiences with a lot of other teachers who shared that same level of frustration. So that's essentially how it started. So it, it morphed into this, like, but we started with just a group of like 20, 25 teachers um, who were basically like burned out and ready to quit. And so I think as we grew, we started to like go and like look at national data, national trends, and figure out like, okay, the data is showing that, yeah, we weren't crazy. Like by year, th- I was a year three, by year three, four, five is when, yeah, burnout happened, not just for black male teachers, but for all teachers. Like it, it aligned with like the trends of the data. So like how is really like creating a program model that was receptive to what the data was sharing. Um, and then like the stories too, cause data can't, can't capture everything. So like really like talking to the teachers about their experience. Um, I wasn't a pre-service teacher. I, again, I did teach for America. But there are a lot of teachers, young men who are like, who want to go into the profession, who are like, eh, my, the profession isn't for me. I don't see myself reflected in the profession. Are concerned about the supports they're going to get while they want to get into the profession. So that's why we created the beginning teacher model, like the the college model, is to support folks who are thinking about teaching and we're capturing them at an earlier age um, or earlier stage in their in their transition. So yeah, I'm saying that to say I think. It evolved over time, but it definitely evolved with like research and data. Um, and we wanted to like keep that center of what we do. I mean, that's a lot. I wanted to ask you because I think, you know, you all are almost five years old, right? Yeah, this is the fifth year. Okay, this is the fifth year. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You're still here. Thank you. <laughs> this is, yeah, this thank is you. the first hurdle. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask because I think some people have this idea when they start something, it has to be this comprehensive, robust solution that anticipates every single challenge you may come upon. And so I really appreciate you saying we started from this question, right? And like we started with this group of people who were burnt out and wanted to quit and built the experiences to sort of mediate and mitigate the the risk and the pain involved in just being a teacher who's burnt out, right? So I appreciate that central focus. I wanted to ask, but um, I couldn't figure out the right time, but now it seems like the right time. Profound Gentleman, where does that name come from? Yeah, so um, it's actually a research. So we, uh, at the time we were thinking about like organization, there was an article that came out that said like, it literally said like, they didn't say black men, but it said teachers of color have a profound additional impact on students of color. So that was like, at the time when we were like having these conversations about our issue, like all of a sudden this like research article popped up. And I think it came from John Hopkins. Um, and I had a, I was in a, I got my master's from John Hopkins. So I, I found the article and read it and I was like, yo, this is like, 
me to describe the experience I was having and they used the word like a profound additional impact. It's like, I like that. And so we took the profound and then we wanted to like, you know, we work with men instead of just saying profound men. Like we wanted to like have a little bit of like, I don't know, something more memorable behind it. Um, and kind of like more pro- pro- professional. So we just use profound gentlemen, um, as like our kind of our name, but it, it, it came from research as I was reading an article, we saw profound and then Mario came up with gentlemen and was all right, bet what did you use profound gentlemen? Was that, I'm actually very curious about this. Like, was that like a, yes, we did it. Did you immediately just say, this is our name? Like we got it. Uh, no, I think it, it took a while for it to stick. Um, like for <laughs> me, it was, I didn't really like, I'm not a, I'm not the name for my, that's not me. Like I don't call things like I don't have, that's not my, what my creative bone is in terms of like naming things. So I was kind of like, eh. like, it didn't stick at first, but after a while it kind of caught on. And like, I think the hardest part was like, if you just hear the name, you don't know what it is. Like you could have been a national association for black, like it could have been something like that, which would, you know, you, it hits it. But to me, that was kind of boring and kind of stale. So I, I didn't want, I wanted something that was different and unique. But based off hearing it, you don't know what it is. So, um, yeah, so I mean, it just took a while for it to stick. But eventually, it's like, all right, cool. Like, I can, like, I can see it. I can see the vision. Yeah, and one of the reasons I'm asking is because, you know, we talked about funding earlier, but brand, I think, is something that folks don't talk about a lot, but mm-hmm. I think is really, really important when you're introducing yourself to someone um, or an institution or entity that can support you and they want to build an immediate connection with you. And so I was just curious because I think that sometimes people are like, yes, this feels like an epiphany. Light bulb goes up. This is the name. Um, I'm more like you where naming just seems annoying to me, um, but it's still crucially important. And my brain doesn't think like that. So I was just really curious about how that process went. Um, all right. I want to know about why your work is different. And I know folks listening might not have a lot of context to uh, teacher leadership and teacher support, particularly for teachers of color out there. And so Jason, I'll let you talk a little bit about that, but I'm really curious to hear how you all position your work and why it's different from other stuff out there. Mm, I think, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is that we, I mean, it's about teaching, but it's not about teaching. It's more about self. So I think like everyone comes to every journey, everywhere comes to like their journey for a particular reason. And like where, where that you have a, either, you know, you saw this profession in high school or elementary school that really like spoke to you. But I think it's the same with teachers. And oftentimes I don't think we talk about like the motivation behind like why we do what we do. It's just, you know, folks say, oh, we just need more teachers in the classroom. Like, yeah, why? Like, I, mean, I get it. Yeah, we understand that. But like, do we really understand <laughs> right. why folks want to teach? Like, what what makes somebody say, hey, "I want to like work for this amount of pay and like go into these systems and teach kids"? And especially talking about men and black men at, at that. Like, at least for me, I can I can speak from my own experience. Like, I was suspended a couple of times in school. I didn't. I hated school. I didn't. I didn't have a great relationship with school. And a lot of men, men have that like same kind of like reaction. There's some guys who like loved it. I don't really hear too many folks who are like, yeah, I love school and I wanted to come back. So that like, you're asking me to come into a system where I hated, I hated school growing up. And so like, why, why would somebody want to do that? So I think for us, I think we get to the root of like, 
the root of why and like your personal motivation. Like, why did you want to do this for you? Um, and what stories led you to be a classroom teacher or an educator? And so I, I think the root of it is storytelling. So I think before we get to like the, the pedagogy and the content and like the testing and like the evaluation and like all that is important um, because you have to be a proficient, but we kind of get to like, what is, what is your story? How do you show up? And how can we support you in like achieving your goals? Thank you. I mean, I feel like that's needed. And I, I hope more people follow suit, right? Because I think there's a self-awareness component, which you talked about earlier, which is just so critical um, to success, period. And that actually brings me back to this question I wanted to ask you, uh, which is how have you sort of found out who you are? What has that journey of self-awareness looked like for you? And how do you infuse that into profound gentleman's work? Yeah, um, huh. I think I'm from a self-awareness. That's a good point. I think, um, good question. Um, I think it's emerging. I don't, I still think I'm around elements of who I am like every year almost or every season. Um, so like for instance, this past year, well, I have, I have a son, so he's seven months old. So he's a new baby boy. Um, oh, and so now like, I've discovered, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so I've discovered like a whole new, like why because of him and so I think it emerges I think I've always been my root is like my foundation is is what I mentioned earlier about being going up with my grandparents and a black community being service oriented like that's still a, the core of who I am and that's my identity like how I identify so I will never regardless of what profession I'm in whether it's teaching or like whatever I'm always going to do that first like that center um and I think everything else it just builds on top of that so I think I, I, we have to do a lot of intentional work about like sitting down and writing our story yourself. And that's something we we do on our team retreats. We have like two or team retreats a year and every team retreat we write out, like we write out our story yourself, like a 10 page paper almost about like, who are you? That's just a question that that's the prompt. And we just write. And then we share out as a team. And that every time I do that, it opens up like, Oh snap. Like I've realized like, yeah, I care about this because of this experience or I care about that because of this experience. Um, so I, I think it's always self, it's like self-evolving and always doing like that self-homework. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's just a journey that I'm really interested in. I think we get too caught up in things like accountability, performance management, and we make things so structured and we, what we miss is who are the people showing up for this? Like, who are they actually? Right. And so I really appreciate the fact that you all embed that and make it central to the work. Um, and I think that's going to start happening everywhere else, to be completely honest. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So I want to learn uh, again more about you. Right. So tell us what you've been learning as you've gone through your own leadership journey um, as a teacher, um, taking on some of this consulting work that you've been doing and with Profound Gentlemen. Like, what, is, what are some of those keys? Yeah, I think for me, I've, I've learned that I'm actually, a, I don't like to be in the forefront. I think that's something that I think I had to come to terms with, like, my official title is executive director, and you think that means I'm supposed to be, like, out talking all the time and, like, cultivating the masses. And honestly, I, I'm, that's not how I lead. I actually like to lead from behind. I think I had to come to terms with that. Like, oftentimes you think the person who's up front had like the biggest voice is like the folks who know the most and like are the leaders and 
the folks who are the behind is like, you know, you get overlooked. And I've always struggled with that. So I've always like, always flirted with the idea of like, I want to be a front, but I really don't like to do that. I prefer to be like an organizer strategy. Like I like, I prefer one-on-one coffees any time of the week versus like large group presentations. Um, and so that took a long time for me to understand about my own leadership style. But once I kind of like, and I'm still figuring that out and it's still uncomfortable because I'm asked to do a lot up front and like, I'm trying to figure out how to like cultivate people to, to, to do that. And I, I can, like, I don't mind leading a t- talk or whatever. I prefer not to, I prefer to support people who want to be support people who want to, to do that work to, for them to like, for them to step into those spaces. And so, um, I don't know. I, I I'm going to use this analogy, but like, I'm, I like, I love music. So music is like, especially rap music. So like one of my favorite, like record labels that I like is, uh, um, young money. So I like young money because it's like, it, I like to have the organizational structure. So on the surface, you see like baby, which is, you know, dude with a bald head who was like on the breakfast club, but he's like the leader of, you know, he's the face of it, but he has a brother who he started it with named slim and slim is like, you don't see him. He's like, he's the one who does all the business in the background. He has like the one who does all the deals. And like, I actually study, I study like him and like, they don't, the, how their like record label is ran, um, the cash money, excuse me, but sorry, young money. Yeah. But how the record label is ran because of like that dynamic. And so I prefer to be more like in the background as a leader. And that's, again, that's tough because you're expected to be always upfront and at the forefront of things. Um, and so I'm still trying to figure out again, like how I do that. But um, yeah, so that's a small example about like why um, my leadership style and how that's evolved over time. Nice. Yeah, I'm so I'm so curious about how people who might cons- you didn't say this, but people who might consider themselves introverted can like step into those roles and how they how they actually like execute on that. Right. I think for some people standing on stage in front of 2000 people sounds extremely nerve wracking, yet there are folks doing it who feel like they'd rather just be in a corner by themselves. Mm. Um, all right. I want to know now, um, what is keeping you up at night besides your new baby boy <laughs> when, it comes to, when it comes to your work? What, what's top of mind? Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing is around, around, like, I don't want to say policy, but like, I don't know. I've, so I've, I had a, I have, I've been having conversations with some teachers who just, some of the folks who are in our program are like friends that like we just talk. Um, and a lot of them are like, yo, I, I'm, I'm done. And a lot of it is not a, the kids is not the administration It's mainly around like compensation and pay. Like folks don't feel like they're being compensated and valued for their work. And like, had a good conversation with a, a friend of mine who is in his like thirties. He's a teacher has been teaching for like in his mid thirties, like eight, some 10 years, you know, a lot of different schools, very seasoned claim teacher, but still doesn't, he's like, yeah, I can't buy a house. Like I'm, I'm having trouble. I like, making down payments. So like, I'm, I'm hearing that. And it's like, I don't know. It has me thinking a lot about like, you know, how much our work and our work in like, are worth like what that relationship is like. And I, I've never been a person who's like gone after money as a career. Um, even teaching, like I was cool with the salary I was making. Like I was, I was cool. I made it work. Um, but I'm really starting to step back and think about like how much we're really valuing educators 
because of it doesn't reflect in our compensation. And so like a lot of the frustration or like the things that keep me up at night is making sure I'm not promoting a profession where people can't be sustainable and like take care of their, their families if they have one, but even just themselves. And so, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Cause that's like a big monster. And I get, you know, historically like teaching has always been a, a female woman dominated pr- profession. And I think that's why it hasn't been compensated because we don't value women in that way. Like we, we, we have not funded education the way it should have been. And so like, a lot of it now we're promoting like men to step into this space in a system that has never really valued teaching anyway. And the financial resources don't, they don't, they don't align. So that's been keeping me up at night is just trying to figure out what to do with it. And it's like, it's not for me. I don't think it's just like my sole responsibility, of course, to solve, but um, I need to learn a lot more about how compensation works at different States. You know, what I know some count local, like counties, can like offset some of the costs by offering supplements versus some of the, you know, smaller counties can't, I mean, there's a lot of like politics involved around like how teachers are stipend and how, how that whole system works when it comes to financial resources that I need to learn a lot. So I'm just acknowledging my gap, but that's something that I'm keeping. That's been keeping me up a lot. Is just like hearing from some of these guys who are like, yo, I'm done. Like in a real authentic way sharing, like can't, I can't physically do this anymore. Um, but I'm still I'm I'm still promoting the profet the profession. So it's like a lot of like I'm going back and forth with it. So um I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'd love some solutions or some answers if you have anything for me you and your listeners have anything for me to read or just like continue to, to build on, but um that's where I'm at with it. I mean, that's a really worthwhile charge. I mean, I taught too for a few years uh in New Orleans and because of the cost of living in New Orleans, it was manageable. But now I'm back in the Bay Area and I just see really some unnecessary suffering that teachers have to deal with because of pay. Yeah. Job is hard enough to not feel like you have any stability. I mean, it that sort of pain compounds. So I think it's a worthwhile cause. I have no solutions for you. But yeah. <laughs> what else out there does? Yeah then you should hit up Jason and we'll leave his contact info. All right. Yeah, couple, so, um, yeah feel free. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Um, I have a couple more questions. And so I'm really curious when you have hit some of these tough moments, cause you all are celebrating five years this year. Congratulations again. When you've hit some of those snags on the journey, um, how have you gotten out of it? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it is like reflection. I think um, there's always challenges, like whether it's internal from like your team or external with like funding or partnerships or whatever the case may be. Um, I think I've, I've had to, I've typically have, I'm, I like to reflect, like I'm an internal thinker. And so I, I typically reflect, I don't often share my reflections, but I'm always like thinking. So I, I, we've had to like put some, a lot of systems in place internally um, to like reflect and that means like weekly check-ins that means like debriefing after events like i put it in as a system in place so we're always constantly like stopping reflecting sharing out like our thoughts and so um i say as much self-reflection as folks can do i think whether it's just like however you do that whether it's taking some time to like go in a corner some people like to talk to reflect so i'm learning that you know everyone's reflection looks different some people are 
are more outward with it. Some people are more inward with it. I'm again, I'm, I'm a lot more inward with my reflection than I am outward. Um, but I still need a chance to share that with folks. So, um, yeah. So saying that to say, I think um, I don't have. I mean, that's that's the big. That's the best thing I I I do for myself personally and with like, our organization. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, and that's that's part of some of the work that you provide to folks too, right? Just like that space to reflect, to connect, to be in dialogue with each other and, and I guess yourself as well. Um, yeah. right. So my last question for you, or this is the second to last question, but my second to last question for you is what advice do you have for people who want to make a move or build something of their own? Um. Yeah, I, w- I would say the first thing is to stop and understand. Understand, I want to say who you are. It sounds very like big, but like I would say, kind of understand your leadership style first. I think um, it was interesting. We, I was in a leadership activity. I, I do like professional development for myself. That's I, I, something I'm, I commit to myself, myself to doing. So I did one with uh, a group called the Management Center, and it was around like you as a leader and they had a very simple activity, but like, yeah, four corners of the room. One corner was like, when things happen, like, what do you like? They pretty much ask this question. Like, if you want to do something, what steps do you take? So the first room was like, you just take action and you do it. Second, like corner was like, you build relationships. So you build a team first. The third corner was like, you're a planner. Like you're trying, you're like looking at the details. And then the last corner was like, you're a visionary. Like you, I've already, you've already been thinking about it. You have this big grand vision. And like, we had to kind of stand in what area, what part of the room where we felt like our leadership style, like we gravitated the most. So I went to like take action. So I'm a person where if I have an idea, I just do it. I don't do a lot of like building relationships first. I don't do a lot of like, I'm not a visionary. I'm okay to admit that. Like, that's not my strength. I'm definitely more of like a doer um, and I'm not a planner. So that's, and so I had to like come to terms of like, that's who I am, but I know I need the other three. Like I need the visionary, I need the planner and I need the relationship builder in order to make something successful. And so I would say first is like identifying where you, who, who you are as a leader. And if that's taking a class, do reading, self-reflection, whatever that looks like. Um, and then surround yourself with people who fill your gaps. That's the second one. And so I think like we have a have a team that my co-founder is a visionary. So he's the person who like has a vision and like has a lot of visions. <laughs> and I, I think I'm a doer. So like, like it, it it fits because like I could do a lot of stuff and you ask me where I'm going. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing it. Like I, I'm, I have that. I can do that. And I have done that in the past. Of like I just be meeting with people just because I need to do something. And so, but not having a clear vision or plan in place. But again, you need every part like you need your team, you need every part of your team, whether that's a board, whether that's co-founders, whether that's partners, whether that's like, I mean, personal advisors, whatever that looks like. Those are the two that I would recommend is like understanding your real clear, crystal clear about your leadership. And then the second one is building a team to fill your gaps. Nice. Thank you. Teams. I'm thinking about building teams right now and how critical that is. (laughs) So I feel like this is the universe that keeps telling me to get my (laughs) stuff together. (laughs) Well, Jason, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And my last question is, 
Uh, where can folks find out more about you? Where can they follow you on the socials? Where can they find out more about Profound Gentlemen and all the good news and work y'all are doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, so personally, I'm not the biggest social media user. Um, so I, use, I have Instagram. That's like the only one that I personally have. Um, so the name is Brian Terrell. So my middle name is Brian, but it's spelled Brian, but it's B-R-I-O-N. Then my last name is T-E-R-R-E-L-L. So that's like my, um, that's my username. So you can find me on Instagram. Like the best way to connect with me is like email. I just, I like to talk. Um, I like to just have one-on-one conversation with folks. So, um, yeah, I can like, I don't know. I can share my email. Like it's Jason at profilegentleman.org, but you can probably post it. Um, yeah, feel free. I'm always open, like have one-on-one conversations. Um, but for PG, we're pretty heavily, okay. Um, we're pretty heavy on, on social media. So um, like on Twitter, it's PG Educator. Uh, Instagram is Profound Gentleman. Facebook, Profound Gentleman. Um, LinkedIn, Profound Gentleman. YouTube, <laughs> Profound Gentleman. So there's always something going on. And we have, uh, again, some interns and some assistants who manage like a lot of the social media content who are always posting um, stuff. So it's, we definitely have like an active like social media presence. So definitely engage. But um, personally, the best way I like to, to, to navigate it is just build a relationship. So again, if you want to reach out, I'm, I'm here. Um, yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason, for being here. Everybody, I hope you learned from all these wonderful gems that he left with us today. And thank you again. It was a pleasure. We got to do round two soon. I definitely appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or an idea for a show? Email us at hello at goodbets.co with unplugged in the subject line. If you want to learn more about GoodBets Group and our work, then visit us at goodbets.co. That's G-O-O-D-B-E-T-S dot C-O. Till next time.